0: Hello, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there. Thank you for joining me for this episode. In this episode, you'll be listening to me talk to J.J. Yemma. J.J. is another one of those beautiful pioneers of Nicaragua, somebody who came across the border long ago in the 90s as a young teenager who was just looking for a life of surfing and simplicity. And what he actually stumbled into was a way for him to sustain that life and actually make money, real money. And he walked into southern Nicaragua just as it was starting to become a very popular sort of fringe location for surfers and investors to start speculating within. And he made a stake and really developed an area up north of where I live in the Papoyo area, Las Salinas, that is the way it is, in my opinion, because of him. So in this episode, you get to hear me talk to him at his new little cafe called Todo con Amor. So there are some outside noises, some blenders going, some motorcycles going by, some voices in the background. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the atmosphere noise and the episode because it's a really cool episode where you get to hear how he really just bootstrapped his life as an expat down here and and found a lot of success doing that. But on another note, on a very exciting note, I have started a Patreon account. Now if you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon is a way for you as a fan – to support me in what I'm trying to accomplish here with Misfits and Rejects. So what you can do if you are interested in supporting me, Misfits and Rejects, is you can go to my Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects, and you can donate. You can donate a monthly reoccurring fee to help me kind of keep this going. And then, also, help me progress this and make this more professional in an audio and visual way and there's different ways you or different uh, amounts you can donate every month, you know ranging from one dollar a month, which is going to help me you know buy my guest a beer for example and and loosen my guest up so we can get a really good inspirational um, episode for you, you know up to you know fifteen dollars, which is going to help me you know seek more interviews with different expats who live a little bit deeper in the jungle, um, a little bit farther from where I'm at who might not have internet access where I can do like a mobile interview, and then all the way up to, you know, $100 a month or whatever you want, you know, donating at, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with is awesome. If you can't, if you don't, if that's not something you're interested in, you know, even just sharing, my patreon page or sharing misfits and rejects with a friend um, is super helpful to me you know the more subscribers i get the more attention i get really helps me in the long run at some point you know attract attention of a possible sponsor you know but right now being where i'm at being you know a still a very small kind of bootstrapping do it myself sort of uh, podcast this is something i thought would be fun to try And, you know, maybe attract the attention of you, the listener, as somebody who potentially appreciates what I do, uh, finds the stories that I deliver inspirational and maybe motivating you to continue down that path that you have chosen to pursue for your life, the lifestyle that you want to design for yourself, or possibly maybe being that tipping point to where you hear a story that you can really relate to and it sends you on that path. Of lifestyle design and and working towards that dream life that you've always wanted, so yeah check it out. you can support me at patreon www.patreon.com backslash misfits and rejects and again, every little bit helps, but no worries if you know you just want to share it with somebody that's awesome as well. And so with that said, here's JJ. Yema's episode Enjoy Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes.
1: I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear.
0: And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by a legend in Nicaragua. I think somebody who, as history written, your name will come up in this area for sure as being somebody who kind of guided the development of Popoyo and somebody who had a very positive influence on the community. So with that said, JJ, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Well, what's up, Brother Chapin? (laughs) Good to see you, man. man. Yeah, Uh, we've
0: uh, spent a lot of years down here, gotten to really connect down the water, you know, Never too much up in your neck of the woods. We kind of had like three little barrios going on. We had like Papoyo, Gigante, and then San Juan, and everyone kind of did their thing. But we always met out in the water, in the waves, and really had some great conversations over the years. And your story is kind of something that I've heard snippets about through other people. You know, I've never really had the heart-to-heart that we're getting to have right now with you. And I think it'd be really cool for the audience to kind of just hear like, the rise of J.J. Yama, you know, up in Popoyo and, and how you kind of came to be. So maybe can you just give us the audience a little bit of a background, like where you're from?
1: Yeah, well, man, you know what? Um, First off, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate the intro and, you know, that's really nice of you, but uh, I'm still just, just me still stoked to be here and, and really just um, constantly growing in this revelation of what it means to be able to live this lifestyle and still do the things that I do, you know, 20 years later. So I really appreciate that uh, that intro. It's it's humbling to me always, you know, I'm so grateful still just to kinda of be in this position and we have had some awesome tube fest sessions at uh, Colorado and and wherever we meet it's always fun and always high fives and laughter and joy. So Absolutely, lots of smiles. We've been we've been missing on those too. Where when was the last time we had a good one? It's been a while. It has been. I think yeah, we connected like what like six months ago. We kinda caught up, you know, yeah. and, and-
0: Yeah. All right. So we're overdue. Yeah, we are. It's going to be a nice one. (laughs) Right. Um, but yeah, you're from Florida,
1: Jacksonville originally, right? Yeah, I did. I grew up in Jacksonville, Jack's Beach, Florida. And Um, like, were you growing, did you grow up like as a competitive surfer? Like, uh, you know, I got my first surfer when I was seven Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, did do the competitive thing. Um, you know, when I was 14 or so, I think I, uh, kind of fell into a little bit of a drug life and the surfing competitive world just kind of dropped off the radar. And then uh, really started working a lot. Uh, worked in the restaurant business, and that uh, kind of took up all my spare time on the weekends. And and uh, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for my first surf trip to Costa Rica when I was 15, I did a five-week June-July trip. Uh, I think it was in '93. Um, I got that perspective that first taste of what real waves. Uh, that first taste of. Kind of uh, Central America and uh, a new world outside of the United States that set the fire. Uh, Fifteen
0: that, uh, a five week trip. Are you by yourself? You go with your family?
1: No, I actually went with my uh, surfboard shaper Sean Bunning from Jacks Beach, Florida, and he had uh, he was Zanzibar surfboards, and so like he, he kind of paid for my trip and brought me along, and uh, we we were like with five other guys, and it was just one of those one of those deals. Five weeks, you know, for first first trip ever. Where was it? where did you guys spend? The uh, most we time? we went to Jaco, uh, then we ended up at Salsa on the Caribbean. We kind of did a whole tour of everywhere in Costa Rica, and it was it was very very influential. It actually had me set up when I was sixteen uh, for another trip back to Costa Rica. I had four friends that were going to go. They all backed out. Ended up going by myself for two weeks when I was sixteen over Christmas. I got to pause.
0: Where were your parents? <laughs> like, were they like super supportive of you your ventures in life and like? you at 16 heading to Costa Rica or were they, yeah, like, how'd they feel about that?
1: You know, I, I, I came from a divorced family. Uh-huh. Uh, when I was 12, my parents got divorced. My dad ended up going for a job in Chicago and uh, my mom worked all the time. So I kind of grew up by myself from 12 on, you know, and it was, uh, ended up, uh, both of my parents were always encouraging. You know, they, they, uh, always said, well, Hey, if you can make the money and do it, go for it. <laughs> so, I think there was uh, there was never real a real uh, no um, there was no nothing holding me back on on those trips. They were always supportive. That's um, cool. So I saved my own money when went on that trip and ended up. You know how when you go traveling by yourself, you always just meet people everywhere. And it, it, I really I met so many people on that trip, and uh, they were like, "Come back, we got a job for you, work." And that just kind of set my whole mind frame, my just frame of mind on this this dream that, man, maybe I could disappear from this this world view that all my friends have of this kind of state-style life, and, and I could see myself, you know, surfing and living in Central America and, and doing this. So when you landed as, as a 16-year-old solo in
0: San Jose, Costa Rica... Was like someone there to pick you up, or did you navigate to where you were going by yourself? On yeah, buses?
1: at that time there was a, in Hako they had they had a taxi service. I think it was hundred bucks, and they brought you from the airport out. And so I just went right there. It was at nighttime, and I was by myself, and just excited, and instantly, uh, you know, started meeting people on the way. And next thing you know, I had rides to Hermosa, and it was real simple. Wow, that's so cool. And then, how long were you there for? Two weeks. Okay. And uh, I inst- I met a guy who uh, is still a friend of mine. His name's Fernando, and he's from uh, Peru. And uh, he brought me up to Playa Negra with him with him that trip because he wanted me to buy all my boards when I left. Okay. <laughs> so he ended up taking me to uh, Playa Negra. We spent a week in Playa Negra, and and then that kind of just set set up uh, really um, the opportunity for me to move down when I when I turned eighteen. Just that connection that you had. Yeah, he uh, his friends had a pizzeria in Liberia, and they were like, "Look, if you get down and you really need a place, you can come make pizzas, and we'll take care of you." So it was like, "Okay, if I just if I go and and uh, I can pull this off. Worst case scenario, I go make pizzas in Liberia and go surf on the weekends."
0: <laughs> yeah, Liberia is what, like an hour and a half <clears throat> from the coast. Yeah. Not an hour. Yeah. Wow, dude, what an adventure! And I mean, it sounds like school wasn't at the forefront of your mind. Like you were what homeschooled,
1: or we? No, I, I mean I, I grew up, uh, you know, going to school like all my friends, and and I was actually on the work release program, so I only had to go till eleven every day, and then I would get out and go to work. Um, so I was working thirty to forty hours, forty hours a week as a as a cook, as a line cook, and uh, it, you know, even. As easy of a schedule as that was, I only made it to half halfway through the, my senior year before I was like, you know what, this just isn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up quitting high school, uh, grabbed another job, uh, I line, line cook at night, and then uh, prep cook during the day, and just uh, worked like 70 hours a week. Saved up, um, I think I had $800 to ship my truck to Costa Rica, $700 cash, and then uh, the other 800 I had went to repairing the transmission right before I left. So wow, uh, wild story.
0: Cause I mean, had you done the research when you import a car like that? I mean, were there taxes involved? Like
1: I had no idea. And then when you got here, <laughs> was there was that the reality? Like you had to leave the country with your car every, what? Three yeah. Months? I mean, they, they said that you had to leave, but I was, uh, I ended up back then there wasn't really a lot of emphasis on like, if you had documents or not, you just kind of, Talked to the police, you know, bought them lunch or whatever. And they just looked the other way. And so I really never had any problems, um, with my truck until, uh, I finally did pay the taxes a year later. Um, it was a 82 Mazda B 2000 completely just wrote, drove it into the dirt. Yeah. And, uh, then I ended up selling it. Um, after two years in Costa Rica, I moved to Nicaragua and sold it to, uh, uh, Charlie Coon, I believe, and, and Johnny Futch, and it, it actually burned itself to the ground, I heard, two weeks later.
0: <laughs> it no just way. caught was itself on fire. It? No,
1: it just was <laughs> sitting, it, sitting there, parked, and just decided to self-destruct. <laughs> oh my
0: god. It's like yeah. Mission Impossible, dude.
1: Yeah, the thing had no wheel, wheel wells anymore. I mean, it was just completely and totally destroyed, but I sold it to him for 500 bucks, and, but you were making
0: a living for two years in Costa Rica. Um, what you weren't making pizzas, were you?
1: No, I, I ended up, uh, the first six months in Jaco as an 18 year old. I can be pretty destructive. Um, and, uh, I guess by the grace of God, I, I survived that experience. Just partying too much. Just partying too much. But I, I did, uh, something started there, um, which was the the whole surf tour business. I had the truck, um, and a good friend of mine who's since passed away, Sean Messer. Um, he, uh, he and I rented a house right in Jaco and we rented out one of the bedrooms and it was $70 a week per person. They could stay there and they just had to pay for the gas and we'd drive them all over Costa Rica. I went to Pavones 14 times, went multiple times to the Caribbean up north and basically started doing surf tours, uh, right there when I was 18. That's when that kind of started that dream for the surf tour business. Now were the Garsons doing their thing at that time or had they not? No, come yet? no, they hadn't, hadn't started their deal yet.
0: Okay that's interesting. So, so that was in
1: 95. I okay. moved there, uh, June of 1995. Wow. I was like a
0: freshman in high school. <laughs> and so you're just living hand to mouth then. I mean, getting by.
1: Yeah. Just getting by, uh, you know, it was, um, luckily, you know, again, grace of God st- stepped in, even though I didn't know about it at that point. It was, um, I, I was on a rough, a rough road. Um, you know, the, the party scene is pretty, pretty heavy in, in that area. And, uh, I ended up finding a job cooking in a restaurant, the Monocongo Lodge, in uh, Playa Negra, in December that same year. Mm-hmm. And when I moved up there, it was like all of a sudden the, the dark cloud lifted, and I and I realized like I can stay here, I can do this. I'm not going to self destruct, and uh, I'm going to get serious and 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 enjoy what uh, what surfing down here and just living a healthy lifestyle and working can. Can be so. 18 years old, you know. I mean, uh, that was my first revelation about um, you know, just trying to do what it takes to stay right and not self-destruct and have yeah. to go back and.
0: Because I mean, that. we do see that around us all the time. <clears throat> the uh, amount of freedom and I don't say non-judgment, but it's just not the same kind of pure judgment that you get back in the states when you wake up and crack a beer at eight in the morning or you know whatever you were doing. Um, that kind of just people spiral here real quick you know, and we've seen it a million times and they go back, but it, that's pretty cool that you kind of came to that within yourself at such a young age. And, um, I mean, did you struggle more with the parting after that? Or was that kind of the moment where you said like, I'm going to, I'm going to clean up and at least
1: get in control of it? And no, I more? mean, I, <clears throat> I definitely, uh, I still, I still partied and, and did, did all that stuff. I just, uh, it was a much more controlled right atmosphere okay. um and i i recognized that you know i had responsibility i had to be at work at a certain time i had to um be responsible with that part of my life and as a surf guide with your own business what i was doing in Hakko was living everybody else's dream on their vacation mm-hmm. i'm here for two weeks let's burn down the house and yeah you do that over and over and over again with people and before you know it you lose your own life so yeah um just having the responsibility of working uh, as an 18, 19 year old. And then I did that job for a year. Um, I ended up leaving the Monocongo Lodge in Costa Rica. I started my own, uh, with my Peruvian friends. Uh, I did two months with them. A a, uh, all you can eat breakfast for, uh, was five or 600 colones back then. And, uh, that was cool. All you can eat pancakes and French toast. Like you started that. Yes, yeah, I started that with them <laughs> Okay. Uh, from a friend of mine who used to do the same thing in Hako. So I was like, man, he did that, that there. People love all-you-can-eat pancakes and French toast and banana smoothies. Yeah. Let's do it. And it, it went good, you know. We were we were making money, but then uh, we kind of just decided to go our own ways and whatever. Um, and a friend who had a bar right there in Playa Negra, it was called Los Paragos, uh the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told him, I said, hey, listen, I can... You're using this as a bar. You have all this stuff to cook. I can bring people in here. We can turn this thing into a restaurant and I'll help you get it going. And so for the next four, my last four months in Costa Rica, I started a restaurant uh, out of his bar and lived in a little camper uh, trailer that was, you know, the kind that goes in the back of a truck. Mm-hmm. They had to set up on some blocks. And so I just, it was right on the beach. I lived in that, went down to the beach every morning, did my, did my, uh, service to the hermit crabs and (laughs) there was no no bathroom or whatever. So I kind of lived in that, that situation for four months. And, um, that was when I found Nicaragua. So
0: yeah, I mean, for the two years that you're bounced around in Costa, you were, were you doing border runs? Uh,
1: I was, um, my first border run was a, uh, I was a year and like three months over on my passport. And, uh, so being a year and three months, I had heard of immigration coming into town, and so I kind of got a little spooked okay. and decided to uh, make that first run. It was January 1997 okay. and ended up in Nicaragua for the first time. By yourself, you just came up because you had to? Or? No, I came actually uh, with my friends John and Tim, and uh, the three of us. We drove my truck up to the border, left my truck at the border, crossed over and did taxis to ended up in San Juan del Sur and uh San Juan del Sur is a big bay you know there's no um, there was no waves nothing it was january and so um complete and total ghost town zero tourism zero stickers zero surf culture whatsoever right and uh no tourism okay no americans except for dale dagger <laughs> actually i met dale dagger i went to the hospedaje bandiocho uh-huh. which was the only place to stay that was a semi like uh, he was actually owned by an American um, and uh, he was building a boat in the yard of uh, there and we didn't even talk really, um, but he was he was kind of salty back then, just didn't want to, I, I don't even, uh, I don't remember, it was such a quick, quick trip, but I did end up talking to somebody, they said Popoyo didn't tell us how to get there, didn't tell us anything, they just said if you want to surf, maybe you could try that direction
0: try like it wasn't even like a for sure it thing. was just
1: this this random like okay but boy at that point we we're in complete total uh exploration mode yeah like, nobody knew anything let's get the text I
0: mean the stigma here was still probably pretty thick
1: yeah but you know what that there's a that's what's so awesome I uh, love about Nicaragua is that from the very first time coming here uh, January 1997 they had a sign coming in from Costa Rica that said Brazos Abiertos," mm-hmm. open arms and, uh, that was the, the case. I mean, living in Co, Coast, Ticos are awesome, you know, El Salvadorians and I love Central America, period. But, um, there was a different feeling coming into this country. It just had this kind of openness. The people were so open. If you were, if <clears throat> two years, after two years in Costa Rica, I learned how to speak Spanish. So I was instantly, and I like to talk to people. So it really just created a very, very, uh, instant feeling of like, Wow, these people! This is awesome. You know, okay. these these people are really stoked we're here. You know, and you don't even have to try to create friendships; it just happens. You know, naturally. Yeah. And so I remember feeling that the very first time. And if you don't speak Spanish, you kind of, you know, you just can't break into into that instant family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you speak, it it really just opens up the opportunity. So next thing you know, we're in a taxi, and uh, the taxi driver's asking directions. Yeah, we're just in the back, excited like. Man, are we going to actually end up surfing and finding waves this trip or what, you know, what's the deal? My, my whole experience with Nicaragua really was, uh, I think in 1992, there was a surfing, a surfing edition that had Brock Little and, uh, Matt Archibald in that. Uh, you remember that one? Not really, no. There was, uh, that was before your time. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a, uh, they had flipped a vehicle in Nicaragua and all got kind oh, of. Oh, I remember the flipped vehicle. I didn't know it was Nicaragua. Okay. Yeah. They, they flipped a vehicle driving up in Mar on the beach. And they uh, they surf this they surf Punta Relo, which okay. is what they call it, which is Manzanillo. They they this wave called El Castillo, mm-hmm. and they had they didn't get like super good waves that trip. There was nothing epic, but they did surf Punta Relo, which is what we call Manzanillo. Mm-hmm. And they had you know this offshore winds right. all day long, and they surfed Left Point Break, and then they surfed El Castillo, which was I don't know if it was the outer reef just keep talking it's yeah. all good stuff. i don't know if it was the outer reef or if it was like uh the inside popoyo what we call popoyo um but uh later on i come to find find that uh you have to get to get into popoyo back then there was a poncho castillo he had the key to get to the through the gate and so they called it el castillo oh, okay and that you know um where was no the one... gate exactly like right where your camp was right no the, the gate is actually where finca popoyo is now oh okay gotcha and so you would go in through there and you'd end up right in front of the break and okay they didn't the the surf mag didn't have the epicus waves but they had this really cool kind of uh, the gu- the you know pictures of the guys of the ak-47s and it just really left this feeling of like wow that's like danger slash like explore slash there's nobody out and there's zero surfing so it kind of gave you the, the feeling like costa rica was so known and it was so mm-hmm. kind of easy to surf and find breaks and you know go around not even that it was crowded back then but it was still real just simple whereas nicaragua kind of had that feeling like you know everybody had this mystique or this this feeling of nicaragua being uh unsafe or Mm -hmm. uh, dangerous or something it's just uh couldn't be farther from the truth really right um so anyway we we ended up uh we ended up at here uh just a kilometer away from where we're sitting right now um, at this place called Latika and Latika uh was the only place to stay in the area it was 3 dollars a night per person uh, meals were like a dollar 50 private room uh all 3 of us slept in the same room okay and uh no ac bats hanging from the ceiling it was great you know it <laughs> yeah. was no problem at all uh bucket showers flush the toilet with the bucket you know um and the only thing they knew about surfing was the beach is that way 30 minute walk okay so just start walking <laughs> that way so we were like cool let's do it we just so we started walking walked through the salt flats had to cross the the river right there and we came around the point at uh what's called sardinas mm-hmm. and uh, all we knew was popoyo so we called it popoyo i don't know if other people called it popoyo but that's actually not popoyo it's sardinas okay and uh there it was man we saw the outer reef it was dead low tide and it was like spitting and just eating itself up and breaking it big, on. or was it just like a? no it was like a head high day but okay. it was still like it was dead low tide so the reef was just we could see the rocks sticking out of the water and the lip was just crashing onto the onto the rocks and it was just like whoa dude that's sick what are, you know what is that and so we climbed up the sand dune to get a better look and as we're kind of checking out the outer reef, like, look at the setup, and it looks amazing. It's the wind's offshore. There's nobody, zero, not even footprints in the sand. And uh, we, we kept seeing this little right come in consistently, which is what we call popoyo. Now we're like, dude, we're on that. Come on, mm-hmm. let's go. So we jump out there, sitting on the right. Next thing you know, I'm catching some lefts. I'm like, guys, you see that? I, just, I left was just fired. And the tide came in, and it just we surfed that for three days straight and just laughed ourselves silly. Never saw silly. another human being. I mean, we, we ended up seeing a couple of Nicaraguans fishing off the rocks and yeah, stuff like surfers, that. I mean, zero surfers, zero, uh, zero, there wasn't a there's surf no ward. evidence of anybody <laughs> ever surfing. No here. evidence. And the people were even asking us, like, what are we, ha- what are we carrying in the bags? I mean, there's just such a, a feeling of, like, wow, like, surfing has never been here before. Yeah, and this was 97, you said? This was January 1997, yeah. And then, so two weeks, and you went back. So three days, we did three okay. days, and then I was for for our border run. Okay. Uh, we did three days, and then we end up uh, going back to the border, crossing over. And uh, I had met a Canadian guy here who was staying at Latika also, mm-hmm. and he was trying to buy land um, on the beach. And he was telling us about like Nicaragua, and it's the new, it's going to be the future. And, and it was like I had five hundred dollars for my name set, saved up at that point after two years in Costa Rica. And so I was, uh, I was just thinking, five hundred dollars. What can I do for five? <laughs> what can I do for five hundred dollars? And so I came back in April of nineteen ninety-seven, and I ended up going to the alcaldia, and uh, I got um, right in Santana, right in front of Buena onda. I got ten lots, oceanfront, for three hundred sixty dollars. It was th- thirty-six dollars per year to rent a uh, twenty-five by twenty-five lot. Uh, right on the beach. And so that was where my $500 went <laughs> $360 to <laughs> almost, almost like an acre on the beach. What done? And then what happened with that property? Um, you know, then I, uh, I ended up, um, kind of leaving the restaurant thing that i had started in, in, uh, Los Pargos and Playa Negra, um, went back to the States, went back to Jacksonville, Florida, And, uh, that was when I just was like, okay, it's time to work again. So we work, I worked a restaurant job by day, restaurant job by night, did like 70, 70 plus hour work, work weeks and just started saving up, saving up, saving up. Me and uh, a good friend of mine, Tim, uh, Tim Hughes, we just, uh, we kind of together, I kind of shared my vision for what I, what I thought was going to give us the opportunity to do the same thing that I had been doing in Costa Rica, but on a whole new level. Like, we're going to be the first ones. We're going to do this. It's going to be awesome, and we're going to live our dream. And we're going to be... Surf a surf camp, or like a surf tour hotel, or what was the dream? Really, the dream was do whatever you have to do to stay. <laughs> okay. And not go back. Okay. And uh, sure, it had to do with, you know, just building a little place, let people camp. I mean, we had zero funds. So it was like, right now we're just going to start, and we'll just let it grow from there. If we always... Have a property where people camp for the rest of our lives, and we just live that it really didn't matter it was the goal was stay mm-hmm. don't go back mm-hmm. eat rice and beans, <laughs> do whatever you got to do, out. and just serve yeah uh yeah so now i'm uh, I think I'm nineteen years old uh or just just turned twenty, and uh I'd saved up six months' worth of uh, sleeping on the on a, uh actually that time we rented we rented a place Tim and I, and uh we we both worked for six months. Uh, we got another friend who gave us a truck. And he as his investment into the project. Okay. So we had a, a 1987 Toyota extra cab, uh, 33s on it. Had the uh, VF Goodrich 33s. It was ready for Nicaragua trip. So we packed it all up and uh, drove down. And uh, we drove down in January of 1998. Moving. Mm-hmm. We moved to Nicaragua in January, 1998. Mm. And so that was when we started uh, working on this beachfront property that that I had rented mm-hmm. and uh, did the rental deal with the government and um, dug a well on it, chopped it, cleaned it. You three yeah. did that yourselves. Well, um, me and Tim did it. We, we hired locals to okay. kind of help us to dig the well and do things and uh, built a little thatch roof, kind of first campsite deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was on the roof banging nails on a little storage bodega. Um, and uh, the president of Nicaragua, with uh, nine four wheelers behind him, all cruised by one day, um, four months into us building on this land. And uh, the guy who was the last guy in the entourage stopped and got off and called me over to him. So I got down off the, off the roof and I'm like, oh, como estás? He's like, you know, uh, he speaks in English and he says, you know, you're building on my property. And I'm like, the mayor is on the four wheeler with the president. He's the one who rented us this property, and he goes, "Oh no, he's a crook!" Like, that's this is my property, and he rented you this falsely. And so I was like, "Man, I'm sorry. There's obviously a misunderstanding, but we'll get it figured figured out." So the next day, I went into the mayor's office, and the mayor's like, "No, that guy's a crook, and he's just he's just trying to." Uh, and it, he was the minister of tourism. His name was Lorenzo Guerrero, okay. and he was the minister of tourism in that time. And, uh, ended up being that I consulted my lawyer about it and he's like, look, there's uh, really nothing we can do. You can, you can fight the government for your $360 that you put into this land, you know, you're yeah. not going to get any other money back. And, uh, then it turned out that the mayor said, look, you, you know, if that, that property didn't work out, I'll tell you what, I'll give you all of the first 500 meters of the river mouth of Wasakate. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's perfect. I'll take it, so for one month, I had the whole uh five hundred meters where uh the river mouth at huasacate is uh-huh. and then he took that from me too, <laughs> and at that point you know you, whenever you're in a whenever you're in a place, I'm always the eternal optimist, okay. and so I'm like yeah you know, i I was just kind of excited still to um I was learning about nicaragua and and really experiencing the culture and learning about the land, and so I realized um you know, there's there's titled land, there's beachfront land that's not titled and so yeah, during that time I I kind of um that's when I found the fifteen manzanas that I that I bought um back in nineteen ninety eight. I had a couple of friends who were interested in, in helping me with my vision to kinda of start a uh surf camp or whatever it was, you know, restaurant, camping site, just whatever whatever it had to be. And uh I found this amazing deal in 1998 for 15 manzanas, $7,500, which is where I built the portfolio surf lodge.
0: Wow! Later,
1: that's um, cool. And that's just through the, going to the Alcaldia, having conversations with people, talking to
0: your lawyer. Like
1: that actually had nothing to do with lawyers or Alcaldia. That was just pure Nika friendships. Hmm. You know, just just living down here and understanding like people, understanding uh, the real way things. You know, when you come on a two-week trip, you get this overall picture that. You know, you think things are a certain way, but when you've been here for three, four, five, six months, a year, you know, you really start to understand the way things work, the way, uh, how processes go and mm-hmm. you start to get comfortable with, um, kind of navigating the, um, the structure of what, what does this, what does this really look like mm-hmm. to be a part of this community? Okay. And, and that's how I, um, uh, trusted With this, the, it was a possession and they had, they had the possession of the land and they sold me their possession and then it took me two years to actually get the title. And so it was, it was all a trust process. You know, there was, there was a lot of different things that during that time, uh, Daniel Ortega was still running for president Mm -hmm. and, uh, he didn't win the first time. That was when, uh, um, it went from, uh, Alemán to, uh, Bolaños. Bolaños. And, uh, so, you know, there was just always, always this little, it wasn't like, uh, I don't think it was for, it wouldn't have been for anybody who was fearful, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that, you know, they just kind of worry about everything. It, it took a, a little bit of a, I don't know, faith and that thing could work out. Yeah. It took a little bit of like really good surf probably and, <laughs> and just a lot of, uh. A yeah. lot of optimism that yeah. that really things were going mean, to
0: it was not easy. I can imagine doing what you were doing with the amount of money. I mean, what kind of money were you working with?
1: Did you have investors that gave you the eight grand, or like? Yeah, you know what I ended up doing is um, I ended up taking the the fifteen acres or mm-hmm. the fifteen manzanas, and then I I um I basically split that in half and sold sold lots for uh, five grand uh, per each lot, and we ended up being in the... I ended up being super cool because I, I got into a group of friends. They all trusted trusted me and were like super stoked on the vision. And they would get the best lots of kind of this whole subdivision. Mm-hmm. And we um, within six months it was all, it was all sold. And oh, wow. uh, And before you know it, I was driving uh, driving back again. I had like sixty grand to kind of start the Papio Surf Lodge, and that's uh, that's kind of how it started. That's genius. Yeah, it was that's awesome. really cool. Um.
0: And so you had kind of closed up shop in Costa Rica. Did you have any contacts with you going back at all? You were just full on now in Nicaragua at this time, and Costa Rica was now just in the past as a memory?
1: Costa Rica was in the past as a memory. At this point, all focus was on Nicaragua. Okay. And, uh, you know, basically, um, kind of making a long story short and and jump-starting or uh, kind of fast-forwarding, um, you know, money down here goes pretty fast. And yeah. It's not like... Uh, even back then things aren't uh building and you know you always spend way more than you think you're going to spend you you know money just goes and so um you know that that money went super fast it wasn't it wasn't even a year it was gone and uh you know i had a I had a palapa built a thatch roof you know 50 foot square uh diameter round mm-hmm. palapa building and another little i mean we're talking rustic you know, okay. pe- people who were going to be staying with us, they were staying and they were using the house. They were, you know, they were... What was your tour going for back then? What were you charging? I first started doing uh, $7 a night for per a person. Okay. So this was just like backpackers coming this, through? You weren't doing full package deals? This was backpackers, random, and mostly my friends who I would talk to uh, kind of got a little buzz going in Florida. Okay. And uh, Floridians cool. were like Nicaragua. And it just kind of, that kind of started spreading um, $7 a night per person room with a fan, nothing special. I'm the surf guide. I'm the cook. I'm cleaning. I'm doing it all. Okay. And it just was, it just was full three sessions a day. Everybody's completely wasted, burned. And Florida Kanye was flowing, <laughs> like keeping everybody, uh, asleep through the mosquito infested, uh, yeah, kind of hot nights. Yeah. Um, but everybody loved it because the, the surf was so good and it, you know the people, the same vibe that, that I had felt coming into Nicaragua. I think everybody, it wasn't really, the surf was amazing and all, but I, I think that um, 95% of the people who came down really said, this culture is amazing, something different is here and we want to be a part of it. So it really grew fast with a, this huge desire for people who didn't want to just come on a surf trip but see what way they could possibly maybe do an extended stay, maybe grow some roots with some property or different things. And that's when I started, uh, kind of buying and selling real estate. And yeah. a lot of opportunity opened up for, uh, even though Nicaragua was still sketchy mm-hmm. in the eyes of most, um, I think the people who experienced the culture instantly said, you know, this is a worthy risk and we'll, they trusted in, uh, in the vision and, and, uh, and it really led to a lot of people who still are here to this day. Yeah, no kidding. I mean,
0: the development of Papoyo is largely in the way that you kind of did it where you were selling to your friends. So a lot of your friends were, are still down here, right? Yeah. And living and creating lives themselves or coming half the year or whatever yeah. that is. And so <clears throat> to keep growing what you had started, were you always kind of getting most of your money through the real estate or was it the Yeah, the, or?
1: the real estate was the... That was the um, you know, the camp was just enough to to keep eating, you know, but the, the real estate was um, was what really kind of gave the ability to grow. Um, you know, it was through the real estate that all of a sudden it was like, we're building a septic tank and we're going to have flush toilets. You know, we're going to build a room with an AC. You know, we're going to start to do these certain improvements that would take us from a um, total camping style setup where... When we had a lot of fun like that, you know, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, those days are, those days are awesome. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would still love to have it be like that because it's so rustic, but uh, you know how it is. A lot of people want a comfortable bed to sleep in and they, and uh, you know, we, it was really, it was, I still think is was um, just an awesome kind of privilege to go from $7 a night and then end up at 12 dollars a night, end up at 15 dollars a night and uh at that point 15 dollars a night we had AC, couple AC rooms, just window units and it started really making us think that wow, we could actually grow this thing into something that went way past our expectations mm-hmm. ever as a you know, 19-year-old kid like with his biggest expectation of wow, we have a roof over our tents. Yeah. <laughs> At what point
0: did I mean you make that jump? At what age, where you had Papoil Surf Lodge being the Popoyo Surf Lodge we know now, where you're doing tours, full tours with your boat by car, and you're selling packages at what like fifteen hundred bucks
1: a pop, twelve hundred bucks a pop? Like how many years did it take to get to that point? um, You know, I would say by the time I was 25. So I started in Nicaragua at 20, Mm -hmm. and by the time I was 25. Uh, we had a couple AC rooms. Um, uh, Might have been six hundred dollars a night, or six hundred dollars a week all uh, inclusive. per person, all inclusive. We pick you up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still a pretty bare trip. Um, we hadn't kind of made the jump to the to the super next level yet in Nicaragua. There, nobody was doing that, so the competition was. It was still a, being sold as a. Uh, this is still a budget trip. Mm-hmm. You know, the accommodations the are you know, okay, and but really we're, we're not going for a luxury surf trip, we're going to surf our brains out and experience Nicaragua mm-hmm. on a real, kind of, ground level experience. And so, um, and that's when things, you know, really changed because I'm, I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit with the, because when I was 25 years old, that's when I, uh, I actually w- had uh, a radical faith experience that changed the history of my life um, and the camp's life. Cool. Sorry about that. Can you talk about the moment and how it happened? Yeah, Um, it was powerful because uh, you know a lot of people when they go through one of these kind of life-changing experiences, for most people, it happens to them when they're lying on their back or they've lost everything and they've gotten to the end of themselves. And for me, it wasn't. I had everything. Um, I was 25 years old. It come from my background. I had. 30 grand at the bank in the bank you know I had been married for three years had a three-year-old daughter I was I was kind of had everything that you could want uh surf camp you know it was booming things were happening you know I'd been buying real estate there was you still partying I was partying pretty hard Mm -hmm. Um, you know just uh, for me it was normal Uh, most most of my friends would have looked at my life and said you know you're, there's nothing, you know. You're not excessive, really. Yeah, you get, you drink too much every night, and you fall asleep, you know, <laughs> uh, off of uh, too many rum, rum shots or whatever. But, uh-huh. um, you know, there were some other drugs mixed in. You know, there's okay. some there was some cocaine mixed in, and and it was just this. It, it was this. I think surfers and extreme sportists we really get a. We have the stigma about us about this adrenaline thing. We we like to push everything to the limits. And, uh, at the end of the day, it didn't matter how, how good the surf was, how good, but it, it was like, you just, you're still, something inside was still missing. Mm-hmm. Something was still, you know, that's why you go to the next level with the next thing, with the next thing, with the next thing, because you're trying to figure out why it is that you can't just be still. Yeah. Why you, you can't stay just high. be, you just can't <laughs> just be at peace with where you're at. You yeah. just have to keep going. And, uh. That led me to Florida over Christmas break, and I was, um, I had actually told my wife at the time that I would, uh, I would never become a Christian ever, and, uh, I meant it, and I was like... Was she Christian? Uh, she, she had grown up kind of Christian, with Christian parents, and... But not practicing. And, you know, we, we just, we were in the same boat, you know, we were partying and doing all that. Okay. And, uh... I had a really good friend who, uh, he was, you know, we partied, he was, you know, very wealthy at marinas and restaurants and all this. And, and we, uh, we partied like rock, rock stars, spare no expense here in Nicaragua and Mm -hmm. yeehaw and all that. And he had a radical change and over the year it kind of had left us in a place where our friendship was deteriorating because he was kind of like, you know, wasn't, wasn't doing drugs, wasn't getting, doing uh, any of that. And he kind of just, you know, he had this Jesus Mm -hmm. and he had these dreams and these visions and everything came real. And it all, you know, when one of your best friends tells you this kind of stuff, it's not like you, you know, he's not crazy. So you, you can't tell him that, but you just say, look, that happened to you. Great. It hasn't happened to me. So, you know, I'll just keep you kind of at arm's length away and, and not let that challenge me at all because I'm good. I'm good where I'm at. and I'm Mm -hmm. not going to go there. And, uh, so our, Kind of friendship deteriorated over that year, and, um, here I am the 24th of December. I'm never gonna become a Christian ever. Forget it, you know, and I just walk out the door in Florida from, her, uh, my ex-wife's parents' house, and I'm just walk out the door, and I just take this walk. And it was that time that all of a sudden everything that I had put my identity into, you know, professional surfer, having money in the bank having business you know being a dad being a husband all these different kinds of things that for me were like identities mm-hmm. that I actually saw from a perspective outside of myself like these identities where I I ground myself with some kind of truth for my life I realize every one of them is temporary and, and I'm getting just this outside look at my life and I'm starting to. Just You know how it's easy when you're looking with your own eyes. You can justify everything. I only did this because of this. Or I only did, you know. Mm-hmm. You, when you look at it from another perspective, it's like when you look at your life, you can really kind of grab a hold of where kind of a uh, more realistic view of, of all of your, all the things you put your trust in. And I just saw all the things I put my trust in as being uh Temporary. Temporary. Things that can be that ripped away. That's what's on that walk. Argument with your... And I'm even going, what am I even thinking? You know, this is, I'm not high. <laughs> I'm not... No, I'm totally sober. <laughs> and I'm like, like, just having this complete, total, uh, challenging me to the core. And I, I just remembered my friend Joe and what he had gone through. And, it, and I was finding that there was this fear rising up in me because I realized that, you know... What if a shark bites off my legs and I can't surf anymore? I mean, here it is. My, my life is based in surfing. It's where I have all this focus. What am I if I can't surf? I'd rather die. Mm-hmm. Just put me out. Mm-hmm. Done. And I just started realizing that like, I don't have a true identity that can't be ripped from me. And that was powerful because it, it was like for the first time I was able to see truth from a perspective that gave me a a real uh, fear because I couldn't control it because I like to be in control. Mm -hmm. I like to have everything in control, and I couldn't control this. And I said the name Jesus out loud right then, just out loud by myself, Jesus. And I got whammoed right there on the street by myself with complete, total peace, freedom, joy, it was like getting a download of absolute understanding and not to be able to understand it at all. Like all of a sudden I, I understood the mysteries of the universe and had no idea what that meant, like how to even understand it. And I'm like, I knew he was real and I just felt this love inside of me just pouring out. And I'm like, there's no way I'm putting on a suit and tie. There's no way I'm doing this religious thing. There is no way. And I just keep walking. No way. Not going to happen. And it wasn't maybe 30 minutes went by, and I start getting attacked by this just reality check about my life again, putting me in this place of total, I'm not in control of my life. I say his name again, Jesus. Again, just complete and total whammo. right Instant. Straight from just, and I'm just sitting there looking up. I'm I'm defending myself because I don't. I'm not gonna stop drinking. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna start stop partying. I'm not gonna be some lame Bible thumping, like no fun. I, I just have I have no idea what it means, but I'm not doing it. I'm not putting on a suit and tie. I'm not gonna be one of these people who who cleans up on Sunday and then beats their, you know, beats their wife at home or whatever just does does says one thing does another i'm not going to be that person and as i'm walking home guess who shows up at my house joe joe no way. yeah and he shows up randomly. randomly 24th of december i'm like dude what are you doing here this is insane you're never gonna believe the day i'm having <laughs> and i kind of just shared with him and he just a tear rolls down his eye and he's like dude this is real bro like it's amazing. And he starts sharing me with me all that he had kind of gone through in his life and where he was at, like, how it changes his business, it changes relationships, it changes his, his... Like, he's just walking with this glow and this peace now and this freedom. And I saw that, and it made me mad before, but I was like, dude, I've seen the change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he goes, bro, it's real, man. He loves us. Like, the creator of heaven and earth loves us, and he's just calling us into a relationship. And... And I said, finally, I came to this place. I'm like, bro, I believe. I don't know what else. I'm. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care if I have to put on a suit and tie. I'm, I'm in. I want it. I want freedom. Because mm-hmm. it, you know, fan, look at the life I had lived. Living up, to, I lived a dream. You You're know? completely free in, in one <laughs> sense of the word. Free. I mean, <clears throat> living this amazing. All the opportunities that everybody thinks if they could just live that they'll mm-hmm. be free. Mm-hmm. And. I said, well, what do I I need to do, man? And he goes, bro, you just need to ask for forgiveness. And I was like, before, he just just struck me right to the core. And I was like, man, you're so right. So I just got down on my knees and just asked God for forgiveness. Just said, Jesus, you're the owner of my life. Take me. Let's do this thing. And uh, instantly, I I saw everything I'd ever done wrong flow out of me like a movie screen. Like a dream. You know how dreams last three Mm -hmm. seconds, but it seems like they're taking yeah forever yeah i saw everything go and i got up from that moment i've been free ever since and it's been absolutely amazing and uh so getting back to nicaragua you know now after that radical faith encounter now i come back to nicaragua again and it's like man i you know pennywise blaring from the speak speakers you know amp pump rage against the machine was over and it all, like, it just stopped. And the the kind of focus, I came back with my all my workers, and I just, you know, here in Nicaragua, the Bible says the poor have been chosen to be rich in faith. And it's like this culture we live in is such a faith-filled culture. And so it was like, wow, you know, like, I'm right at home here. This is awesome. It wasn't like I had to, you know, convince anybody or, like, try to, make people think the way i did or believe i just started sharing my experience and people were like yeah man this you don't know that already oh yeah you know and it's like it just fit so perfect with everything that was already going on and i ended up uh starting a bible study um first i was wanted to go to church here locally and when i went to church here locally there was this like on one side, wow, we're all brothers, and then the message was like there was just this condemnation, mm-hmm. and I'm going, man, this isn't what I'm reading every day. Like I, I just don't see the condemnation, like, and there, there was just this, this kind of law and this thing, and, and I just was like, man, this, this isn't what I'm, what I'm seeing, and it really like kind of profoundly hurt, and so um, before you know it, I'm, t- I got sandals piled up outside my front door i'm just doing bible study with all my workers they're bringing their families next thing you know we're baptizing all kinds of people and we're just working surfing all of us coming together and the business part of things just started blowing up there was all these surfing surfing came down down did a big uh, uh article you know video things people were coming it just it, things just start from that point on i guess that that must have been in uh, like two thousand four, two thousand three or two thousand four, uh, just things just blew up, and it was like all of a sudden I was in in this really amazing place where I realized that, you know, the money that was coming in, the, the the friendships that were being made, made foreign friendships that were everything was based upon this idea of I'm I got a purpose now, and I got a meaning, and it's not just to surf every day and to be part of this radical dream that i originally had in the beginning which was i'd do whatever it takes to surf and live this lifestyle and just become a total salty surf bum to like i got a purpose and a meaning i'm part of this community god has set me up in such a way to really bring about um, a connection from from all these foreigners who are coming down to the community that i'm already connected with and, and what that looks like is it just looks like this deeper level of commitment with people um, to uh, grow together. And, and it, the way that happened was, was really absolutely um, influential to the, the whole surf camp thing mm-hmm. because it kept us in a place where, you know, in a lot of places you go, uh, surf camps, surfers, people... Have almost ruined the relationship between the local people and the right, the yeah. foreigners. I see that, and sure. you you feel like this like something's wrong. They're, the connection has been lost here. It's a disconnect for sure. And it's like you you have to work for a friendship. You have to really mm-hmm. because there's been so much damage mm-hmm. done, um, <laughs> and now that's like couldn't be the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like we we created this culture that was like. We're one. We we're we're not uh, we're not gonna have that damage. We're we're gonna work together, and everybody's gonna benefit from from this kind of surf culture slash church culture slash you know just uh, Nicaraguan culture. And it, even the people who weren't Christians and they are, all of my good friends still, they all they saw that going on, and they, I think everybody was just felt so much better right and it really created i think everybody in this area kind of hopped right on and just benefited from that grace that was put on uh you know grace is grace means unmerited favor it's something that you receive receive without it's like me taking my truck and saying here chapin mm-hmm. i give you this gift and you're like oh dude but i'm gonna pay you back man i'm gonna you know and you're trying to always pay but grace doesn't mean that grace is like something where you just you know you don't deserve it but you, you just receive it, mm-hmm. and it does create out of you this desire to to give back always. And so, back to mm-hmm. kind of where where we ended up with 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 all this was um, I had started a church locally, okay, and uh, we were you know there was pastors coming down from the states and there was connections being made, and, and uh, you know people were wanting to help out and there was houses being built and there was you know people just getting uh, kind of uh, there was needs being met and, and it really it, it wasn't like a uh, it wasn't ever like a handout thing it was more like a friendship thing and I think that uh, what was going on was that that was contagious because that great grace is a contagious thing it's like when someone, you know, you see the commercials when someone gives somebody something, and next thing you know, that somebody else gives, and next thing you know, you got this whole chain of mm-hmm. of giving. And uh, I really feel like that that has set us up in a lot of ways for kind of the benefits of um, a lot of the stuff that we have now. You can see in some places we're losing that. Like in in San Juan, you don't have that mm-hmm. S- same. The surf culture has. In some ways, it's, it's part, almost it's like party you're, culture now. You're having to work for friendships in some way. The Nicaraguans yeah. are still Nicaraguans. Yeah. It's not as bad as other places, but there's been damage done in some of the relationships. Some of the people who've come down have 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 been angry and haven't and haven't shared the, you know, have set up and hurt mm. friendships and and made it uh, in some places a little bit uh, more difficult to have those instant connection relationships with the local people.
0: Yeah. Um, let's, let's transition to the, the growing of, you know, your presence here with the church and like where you're at now because you transition out of the surf camp thing. You have now farmland that you work and you actually provide a lot of, I don't know, do you provide food for the community or you sell it or you also have this lovely new restaurant? You know, and, and JJ is still kind of evolving and changing. Your presence here is still positive. And you're doing different things, so, I mean, how has that come to be, and how does that feel for you? And, and what actually are you doing now, present day, with JJ Yema, like in Popoyo area?
1: Well, I'll, I will, I will share this with you, brother. I, I did have a, you know, the last three years, four years, mm-hmm. um, I did have crazy transition, um, you know nobody uh, nobody's perfect surely I'm not perfect um, I did go through a gnarly uh, gnarly divorce you know there was um, a lot of things that led up to finally we surf camp uh, I just I decided to let all that go the surf camp stayed behind 2015 JJ is no longer a surf camp owner <laughs> okay <laughs> so you know um, that being said I I, I kind of um, optimistically. Uh, the same optimis- optimism from back then is is still here with a deeper level of commitment to uh, God, deeper level of commitment to the community, and and real really an excitement to just say, okay, well, what does this next chapter look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I always wonder in my again, you know, you know how many times throughout our lives we get challenged to kind of w- wonder or. Or either uh, adapt or or find out if this is if what the things that we have define us or not and uh, you know the surf camp it was almost kind of like um, letting it go I always wondered if it would be something that would be uh, hard for me to kind of not be the football surf lodge owner and have that whole because it's a lifestyle and
0: mm-hmm. the identity, kind of like
1: we spoke about earlier. Yeah, kind of you know? like another identity crutch. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I realized immediately was, you know, stop my identity. And and I'm super grateful for that. So I can I walked away freely and was able to really kind of just turn my eyes towards the excitement of like, okay, well, Lord, what are we doing now? You know, and, and it, it's really opened up the doors. You had asked me, um, you know, agriculture, you know, I thought I could, jump into agriculture started plantain farm and Mm. watermelon farm and this and you know i didn't make money with any of it (laughs) okay it was all a big waste okay um it's way harder to do than what it looks and uh this land here is not the best for plantains okay and um so uh, learning experience um you know luckily or you know praise god I, i do own a lot of real estate and i was able to walk away from that with a lot of real estate and so i've got some subdivisions uh sell a couple of lots per year and if it floats me through, it's all, it's all good. And, you know, I mean that, that part of things, but, uh, I do have excitement about, um, you know, the future, um, man, I'm in love again, you know, we'll be getting married soon. I got, a, uh, just an amazing woman, uh, from Germany, Eileen, we've built this restaurant together, Toto quantum and, uh, she's just com- totally compassionate to, for women in the community and just for, for being part of what God's doing. Uh, she likes to surf. She's super, just blessed and, and grateful for the opportunity to uh, kind of live down here and full time, and, mm-hmm. and um, such a different, uh, different mindset than uh, um, always wondering if you're going to end up back in the states. You know, we're, our lives are here, and this is where we're going to stay, uh, no matter Did what. Did you wonder that what at what one point?
0: Happens. Were you thinking like maybe well, you had to go back or? like Um, for work or whatever reasons that you get sucked back into the rat race of any kind
1: when you're when you're um, Americans we're sometimes it's hard for us to break completely off because we have family and you know we're always you know as well as I do living down here is most people last a couple years Mm -hmm. some people last a year some people last five family I've seen many 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 families come and go and they always end up back in the states out of the out of the, if there was ten families that moved down, eight of them will go back. Two might stay permanently. So there's always this draw. You know, something always takes you back, and that that makes it hard if you're trying to plan long term and and really growing something that lasts. And that I think that's what relationships are, and that's what the community projects we have planned are. I mean, we have a, a big uh, warehouse a big greenhouse we just built. We're going to start doing aquaponics. Um, I paired up with another ministry here called Waves of Love. And they're going to be, uh, together, we're going to try to bring education from the schools and let them learn about aquaponics and try to sell uh, good organic produce to the hotels and restaurants, you know, using the relationships that have been built over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this restaurant here, which is just uh, my future wife here, Eileen. She just loves to cook. It's her it's her passion, so she loves to make people happy with cooking. So she's just in her element, and she does this. And It's a great thing for her to just keep her... Doing what she loves and busy while I'm off running around doing my stuff in the community you know we've got uh we've got future projects set up for some skateboard ramps on this little property I have over here and a little community center and and all kinds of fun stuff so That's there's cool, a lot man. more cool things coming
0: i mean to think about you know you getting here in ninety seven for the first time and then where you are today like it's pretty incredible because a lot of the people i I bring on, have the one thing in common with you, which is they like walk out with open arms Mm -hmm. and some not with always this positive attitude as you have towards things, but like they still open up to the possibility of like change and new environments and like Mm -hmm. what could be and, and just the reinventing yourself that you have done in this environment, which is still challenging. I would imagine, Mm -hmm. you know, and like the politics of the place, just the unknowns are still here It's gotten easier. It's easier because of what you've done, you know, for a lot of the people who are now arriving, you know, the reason it is today because of you forging the relationships that you have with the electrical company or like the food trucks coming all the way out now and just the little conveniences that are here because of you, you know, dude, like it's a pretty profound and cool thing that you have created here and, and your influence I think will always be remembered in a really positive, cool way. Um, so I just want to thank you, man, for coming on. And you know, for anybody out there listening, and who wants to like take that next step into the unknown and into a new adventure, into a new lifestyle, what would you tell them? Like, what kind of advice would you give
1: them? Yeah. Well, first, I, I appreciate all that. I, I don't know how much of this happened because I was here or not. You know, I mean, all, all I knew was I, I just, I just lived my life, uh, especially after the, after God's revelation of community and what that kind of the, the bigger, deeper purpose behind all of it. I, mm-hmm. I recognize that um, it really isn't about me, and it's not about what I have done or not done. It's about waking up every day and, and being excited to take on the challenges that, uh, that this world tries to put in front of you to keep you from living your dreams. And so what do, what do we say to people who are having uh, a desire or, or a dream that they, they're trying to accomplish, they want to come and surf and, and live the surf lifestyle? You know, I, I think that um, at the end of the day, for you or for me or for whatever background you come from, I mean, there's a there's a sense of commitment that everyone's going to try to beat you down. Everyone's going to try to tell you no. Everyone's going to try to take it from you. And the only thing that you can do is be committed. If you if you commit yourself 100 percent and you go after it with all your heart, I mean, then you're never going to go back regretting uh, what you did. But there's there's a lot of things down here that you know as well as I do that can destroy your, your passion, mm-hmm. becoming a drunk mm-hmm. or getting involved with drugs or doing certain things that, um, the nightlife down here and they're, they're starting to, because of all of the, the foreigners that have come down, there's a, there's a, a scary nightlife that could suck you into, they could steal your surf life. Right. <laughs> yeah. so that same temptation is in the States or anywhere around the world. Right. And, and I, and I say, if you can keep your head clear and Keep your eyes focused on what's really important, that, that you, you got a, a good percentage uh, possibility of really living the dream, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well said, man. And I just thank you so much for taking the time today.
0: I mean, for the audience who might be coming down and visiting, the restaurant is called Total
1: Conamor. Totaamore in what the kind of marina what kind of food do you have uh well well um, Eileen prepares schnitzel and bratwurst obviously two German awesome meals. she does lentil cottage cheese omelettes if you can imagine that I mean have you ever had a lentil cottage, no, cottage that cheese sounds omelet. awesome <laughs> so that kind of stuff uh flourless pancakes um, Tota Konamore says it pretty much right there, all with love and everything it's in via what the it's area? in the virhem marina okay um, the vir morena is basically basically uh. Kind of a, an offspring of Las Salinas. It's okay. the, they're the same town, basically. Uh, and
0: uh, yeah. Is there any way for, like, say, if there was a church group who wanted to come down and link up with you, they could get a hold of
1: you? James, Joseph, Yema, Facebook. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right now, there's no websites. There's no uh, kind of sim- very simplified over the last couple of years. Uh, I'm not trying to get complicated again, but I imagine at some point in the near future. There's going to be, uh, we're going to have a website and make things easier for people to get connected. Cool. But I kind of disconnected okay. <laughs> for a little while there. I, 17 plus years of tourism and uh, and all that. Really, I love tourism. I love hanging with people, split, talking, you know. But it was, I did feel the need to disconnect for a little while. That's uh, all right, my
0: friend. Yeah. Thanks for taking the <laughs> it's time all good. to reconnect and, and tell your story. <laughs> all right on, brother. Thank by. you, Chapin. Yeah, sure All right all. on. I hope you enjoyed that episode with J.J. Yemma. J.J.'s been a huge inspiration to me over the years down here in Nicaragua, and I hope that his story inspired you to either keep moving forward with the hopes and dreams that you have, or maybe get you started in designing that life that you've always wanted. And just a reminder, I do now have a Patreon account, so if you like Misfits and Rejects and you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can head on over to www.patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects and donate any amount you want all is appreciated and helps me keep this needle moving forward and producing great content for you and you know keep growing this this thing that I love doing so much which is just talking to all these beautiful misfits and rejects around the world so thank you again and I'll see you in episode 81 thank you for listening to misfits and rejects i hope this inspires you to think about your life situation where you're at and possibly make a big decision to Choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new. To live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.